Good to have you. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 2. Does anyone remember what the theme of Romans is? Righteousness of God. So that's the main theme. There are other themes within it. And the reason why it talks about the righteousness of God is because it wants to bring people to a point of salvation. Let's turn to chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, and that's the way I'm going to kind of just begin. We'll read a few verses, kind of discuss those. Therefore, wow, I love it when a passage starts with therefore, which means you have to go back to the previous passage, right? That's what that really means. Because based upon this, then that, that's what therefore means. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. And that's key. For you who judge practice the same things. That's what Paul is saying. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. In Romans chapter 1, what we ended with last week is that Paul was pointing out very notorious uh, sins that he is pointing out at the end of that chapter. Imagine when Paul's letter gets to Rome and it's being read in the church there in Rome. I believe whenever there was a reading of all these lists of unrighteousness, like chapter 1, verses 29 through 31 says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, and the list goes on and on. So imagine if you're sitting in the Roman church, you'd be nodding your head. He's saying, yeah, get on them, Pastor Paul. So as Paul is openly condemning these practices, such as idol worship, homosexual practice, violence, uh, many would have been surprised to hear him say, and you are just as bad. And you won't escape judgment from God either if you're just condemning people, but you're doing the same or similar actions. So he's speaking to people who believe that they have moral conduct because they can see the sin in others. Isn't that easy to do? It's so easy to see the sin in others, but not to see the sin in yourself. What does the Bible tell us not to try to get the speck or the splinter out of someone's eye whenever we have a beam in ours? Paul is kind of looking at them and he, what he's doing is assuming that they are kind of congratulating themselves that they're not like these really bad people. Does that remind you of anything that Jesus made an illustration of? Of two men who went down to pray. The Pharisee and the publican. Found in Luke chapter 18 verses 10 through 14. And the publican would not even look up. Just beat his chest and cried out to God and 
was humble before the Lord. But what did the Pharisee do? He said, I thank you, God, not for supplying my need, not for, you know, he, he wasn't really truly thankful for what God had done for him, but he was thankful that he wasn't like the public. Bless God in comparison to him. I've got it. I'm on track. But who did Jesus say went away forgiven, made right? It was the publican who had beat his chest, humbled himself. Uh, the last part of that, Jesus said to his disciples, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Paul is dealing with, here what is he, what is he doing in this first chapter? He is establishing that everyone sins. He's saying, you're just as guilty if you're pointing out other people's sins and you're doing similar things, you're just as guilty as they are. Saying you're, you're a sinner as well if you're doing that. Paul turns to tell the people that if you judge someone, and it's not the act of judging necessarily. How many knows that we can judge other people? Uh, many times we, people say, oh, it's a sin to judge, judge others. No, it's not a sin to judge others. Because the Bible says we can tell whether or not someone is a Christian by the fruits. What is the sin? Judging others when we're still sinning. That's really a sin, is judging others when we're still sinning. And Paul was saying, since you are informed, how many knows that in order to judge someone, you have to know what God's word says about it. He's saying, you're informed about the justice of God, yet you're judging others for similar things that you are doing. Therefore, you are without excuse. How many ever seen little kids do this? Go to mama or daddy. Little brother's doing this. When they're doing a similar thing, but they want to tell, right? They want to uh, get the other one in trouble. Paul was demonstrating that when we have a tendency to say, I'm not like them, then we need to watch out. How many knows without God, we are very evil in our nature? The Bible tells us that our heart is wicked. Wow, that doesn't make me feel very good. Does it make you feel very good? But there is a way of salvation, right? That's the good news. And he's going to get to this path, this Roman road of salvation. But first, what is he doing? He's establishing that everybody needs the Lord's mercy and his grace and his salvation. Everybody. So be careful how and who you judge. So yes, absolutely. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's establishing that mankind has a problem. It's a sin problem. And how many have ever heard the old saying when we point a finger, how many have got four pointing back at us, right? You know, three, four, whatever, however you do it. Uh, so we have to be careful in how we judge. And this is asking a question, which we know the answer to. How many knows that sometimes scripture 
answers a question, ask a question that the answer is obvious. Paul says, how will they escape the judgment of God? Well, they won't. If they're judging others when they're doing the same thing. So no, they will not escape the judgment of God. Jump down to verses 4 and 5. We read the first three. Verse 4 through 5. 4 and 5. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Whose goodness? The Lord's. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? We're going to kind of point out what those are. Maybe define, in a way, what those are. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. What leads you to repentance? The goodness of God. That's important for us to understand. We're drawn to the Lord and to salvation by the goodness of God. Now, I've seen some people, uh, when the pastor preached a hellfire and brimstone message, and they were convicted, and they came to the altar, but it's still the goodness of God. So it's the goodness of God that draws us or brings us or leads us. It doesn't say it forces us. Well, McKinley, our pastor, used to say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So the Holy Spirit leads. If I wanted to lead you, what's required of you? That you follow, right? And if you don't want to, I don't have the strength to drag you. It's the, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness, all throughout the scripture, God talks about the hardness of the Jews' heart. But guess what? We're right in there with them. With your hardness and your impenitent heart. In other words, you're not willing to repent. You're treasuring up when you do those things and your heart is hard and you don't repent, then you treasure up for yourself, that's kind of old English speaking, but wrath, in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What's he saying? He's saying, when you have a hard heart and you don't repent, God's judgment, although it doesn't, isn't poured out immediately upon you, it's stacking up. And if you don't repent, and if you don't come to salvation, then God will eventually judge. He's a just God. He doesn't allow his creation to avoid him and deny him forever. There is a day of judgment. I'm getting ahead of myself. So do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? So what is the person who despises these things? What is he doing? He is presuming that God won't do anything about it. I sinned yesterday, and God didn't strike me down. I've literally heard, had people tell me stuff like that. Well, I've been sinning, and God didn't do anything about it. Well, this life's not over. And the next one hasn't begun, right? 
a person is presuming upon the goodness and long-suffering and the forbearance of God when they don't humble themselves and repent of their attitude of superiority. Why is that an attitude of superiority? Because we're not looking at God as the judge. We're just looking at God as he didn't do anything. He's not going to do anything. Who is he? My way. Yeah, I did it my way. I'll, I'll keep doing it my way, right? What is goodness? Goodness may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our past sin. You're going to see something here in these three words, though. Aren't you glad that God didn't keep bringing up your past sins? That's some good news. He removes them if we're if we if we ask the Lord and repent and we get saved. They're they're as far as the east is from the west. Uh, the Bible tells us that we're forgiven of our past sin. And I tell you that people have trouble moving on from their past sin. God forgives. Can I say is merciful and, and good and he washes that away? But how many, how many have, and if you don't bring it up in your own mind, who does? How could you ever really be saved when you remember what you did? Because the Lord's already forgiven it, right? So it is God's goodness that uh, his kindness in regard to our past sin. He's been good to us because he's not judged us yet. I'm talking about a sinner. Even though we deserve it. I mean, that sometimes people sin and they don't get judged yet. God's merciful. He's good in regard to our past sin. So what is the word forbearance? Forbearance, and these are all questions in your uh, notes and your questions there. Forbearance could be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our present sin. So not only have people sinned, but people currently sin. Even Christians currently sin. We're not bound by sin, enslaved to sin, but there is a human factor in us. We do presently sin. We're forgiven. We're forgiven when we do. And I believe that if the Holy Spirit pricks your heart when you sin now, then you ought to ask for forgiveness immediately, then, right? Forbearance is God's kindness to us in regard to our present sin. What does that remind us of? Today, we have fallen short. But he holds back his judgment against us because he's good and he's kind and he's forbearing. It's not a word we use very often. We basically say, you're getting on my nerve right now. Uh, but the Lord is, he practices forbearance of our sin, our present sin. So if goodness is God's kindness in regard to our past sin and forbearance is God's kindness in regard to our present sin, then what is long-suffering? Future. Now, I'm not talking about going to heaven or hell for the Christian. 
But for the sinner, if he doesn't repent, or she doesn't repent, long-suffering can be considered God's kindness in regard to our future sin. He knows that we will sin, yet he holds back his judgment. Long-suffering is hard to do as a human. When you know somebody's going to mess up again, but yet you, do you have the ability to forgive again? Who was it that asked the Lord, how many times am I to forgive my neighbor? Peter, wasn't it? And he said, seven times? Because he thought he was good and righteous. I'm going to forgive him seven times, Lord, ain't I good? No, how about 70 times seven is what the Lord, what does that mean? It's not even really a number. That's 490, by the way. It just means keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. There's no end to forgiving others. I mean, those are sometimes we need to get out of people's path because they'll keep hurting us. And that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about forgiving of sin. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. I don't know that we really understand the goodness of God. I may feel like you deserve God's goodness. And he wants to bless me and he wants to favor me. But what about the evil person? Do we understand that God's goodness continues to draw a wicked person? It's hard for us to take in, isn't it? Because what would we do with a Openly wicked person. What would we want to do? Lock them up at the least, right? Keep them from doing that at the least. So what does God do? God continues to draw them by his goodness. God has been good to us. Amen? That's one of my points here. God has been better than what we deserve. God has shown kindness even when we have ignored him. God, through his son Jesus, showed kindness even when they mocked him and spit upon him and plucked out his beard and placed a crown of thorns upon his back. All of those things, still, it was the goodness of God that draws to repentance. One of the most profound statements in the Bible is when Jesus is being raised to the, up onto the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Can we even imagine that kind of goodness? Let me say God's been good to you, right? Yeah. Better than you deserve, amen? amen? So when a person doesn't live for the Lord and continues to sin and continues to live out of the will of God, he is treasuring up God's judgment, which will eventually happen. Paul is saying here that this judgmental person who thinks they're all that, and they're judging somebody even though they're doing similar sins, they're actually also treasuring up the judgment of God. And they know better. Because they know what's wrong, right? That's actually double sin, isn't it? What does the Bible say? To know to do good 
But to not do it, to sin, would have been better to not even know. Get down to verse 6 through 10. We'll read that. Who will render, who's he talking about? God. God will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance uh, in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. Verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You see that repetition there? That means that's important. That statement. To the Jew first, and then to the Greek. What a fearful thought that God will render to each one according to their deeds. God sees. A person cannot hide their sin. They can be in the dark. They can be away from every man. They can hide it from most people, if not all people. But God will see. Amen? And God will render to each one according to their deeds. Now that's true in the positive and in the negative. But when you live right and you do right according to God's standard, then he'll render to you according to what you've done. What does that mean? He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you for being obedient, for being a good son and daughter of the Lord. He will bless you. He will shine his light upon you. He'll give you favor. We want to do something in this world that's going to make a difference. We need God's favor. And sometimes that favor flows through governmental organizations and through people. So we need favor. The good news is God will bless you for what you've done for the kingdom of God. He will. He'll bless you. But for those who have sinned, what is awaiting them? Indignation? Wrath? It's getting worse. Tribulation? Anguish? Upon every soul of man who does evil. God's wrath will come to all who do evil without respect to whether they are a Jew or a Gentile. doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile, if you are not obedient to the Lord and you live in sin, God will judge you. And God will render to, to you according to your deeds. This judgment comes to the Jew first. We know that the Jew, scripturally, is always the first in line. God's chosen people. They're the first in line. But how many knows the first in line doesn't always act well? When Jesus came to the Jew first. They rejected him. They didn't take him. So they went from first to last. Yeah. But God's merciful because he's going to give them another chance. And we have too. But we can't really talk about the Jew. Not that bad old Jew. Right? No. We've been 
we deserve some of that same thing. So they're first in line. Romans 16, 116, they're first in line for the gospel. They had the opportunity to receive the gospel first. Romans 2.10, essentially they're first in line for reward. They're first in line for judgment. I was thinking first in line for judgment. Anybody ever had a mama like mine did? Ever had your mama or your daddy say, go to the room and wait? My mama did that. She did a lot, too. That was worse than the spanking. It really was. Because then you had to think about it. Go in my room and think about what you did. So I'd go in there and, and I'd think about what I did. And I would cry. Mostly because I knew mom was going to spank me, but I would cry. Hoping she'd feel sorry for me. Little brother wasn't of the same attitude at times. He would soul up and say, I'm not going to cry. And he'd stiffen himself up and, and I'd say, Hey, let's both start crying before she gets in here. She'll have some mercy. I always felt like she was more merciful if she was already crying. I don't know. And sometimes being first is not always best either, right? But God does that in an order. He goes to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And we should be thankful that God does that. Because he could have said, the Jew did not receive me. I'm going to just wipe out all of mankind. Because they were my chosen people. Of all people, God could have said, they should have chosen me. Where did they go? They went to the synagogue first to preach the gospel. And sometimes people who were Jewish got saved. But then sometimes some got very upset that they were distorting the Judaism and they kick them out and then they go to the, the Gentile. What Jesus said in his own hometown, I can do very little miracles here. All right, let's skip down to verses 11 through 13. We're moving along okay. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law, so here, what's happening? Paul's beginning to describe the Gentile who's never had the law and the Jew who has had the law. We're not going to get totally through with this chapter because he's going to continue on with the Jewish person who has had that opportunity to know God and to know his word. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearer of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. No partiality. It's an interesting word. In the Greek, it's actually two words that have been put together. And those two words are to receive and face. To receive and face. And what it really means is to judge based on the external or the preconceived notions. This is good. It's good news. God doesn't judge you based on your exterior or his preconceived ideas about you. Thank the Lord. But what he does is he looks at the heart. Isn't that what the Lord told Samuel? 
whenever he was about to anoint David as king. He already went through the litany of, of uh, Jesse's boys. And the first one was tall and handsome and strong. And, and Samuel says, this has got to be the one. And the Lord said, no, for God does not judge as man does. For the man does what? The man is partial. He looks at the outside. How many knows that we have preconceived notions about people as soon as we see them? Terrible, but it's true. When we look at people and how they dress and their appearance, if we don't watch it, we'll be partial. Because God doesn't judge that way, and so we as his children should not judge that way. We have to be very careful not to. You know, it's easy to look at a person and go, mm, I'm a little worried about that one because they look like this or they have this on or they, I've seen them in this place. I think God would be very unhappy with us if we said, I'm sorry, we can't have any of your kind in here. Well, no matter what it is. Doesn't mean we have to believe what they believe or condone maybe what is wrong, even with sin. Even with sin. People who sin and we know they've sinned and they come into the house of God, we shouldn't shun them. So we have to be impartial. Is that really truly fully possible? Yes, it is easier said than done. God has, with God, there's no partiality. So God's righteous judgment is not held back because someone has heard the law. It's only held back if someone actually does the law. There's a difference between hearing and doing. There is. That's what this is saying here. How many have heard the Bible but not obeyed the Bible, right? They're not doing the word. People will be condemned not only because they have the law or do not have the law, but because they have sinned. Yeah, they, they believe, they know who he is. When Jesus was on the earth and he would come to a demon-possessed person, they would cry out and say, what do you have to do with us? Why are you here? If you're going to send us out, give us a place to go to. It's not in knowing, but in obeying, right? In doing. Let me ask you a question. Deepest, darkest, remotest place in a foreign country. I want you to go there in your mind. The scriptures have never come there. Not a single missionary. There are places still like that, by the way. Many missionaries have charted them out. And hopefully, the scriptures will go to those places. But what if that person in that place, can they be saved? Can they, do they have a hope? Do they have a chance? The other thing besides creation is their own conscience. Did you know that we are created with a conscience to know to do right or wrong? Now, some of those rights and wrongs vary slightly in different cultures. They really do, so we be careful to not judge. 
because uh, there was a group of missionaries that went into a, a, a foreign place way back in, in the woods and way away from civilization. And the people heard the message of God and got saved. Many of them got saved. But the women, as well as the men, always went shirtless. It was hot. It was humid in there where they were at. They always went shirtless. So the missionaries brought in shirts for the women. And the next day they came back in and the women had cut out this part right here. The missionaries are like, I don't understand why. You know, we've taught you about modesty and about what you know was happening in their culture. It was the prostitutes who covered themselves and the more righteous or normal, regular people who didn't. So we do have to be careful and just say there are some differences. We can violate our own conscience and sin, whether we've ever heard the scripture or not, because God placed inside of us a conscience. Even if we've never heard the law, we can sin because we commit sin against our own conscience. There is a moral compass inside of mankind. In any culture, there are certain things that are sinful. Worldwide, to kill someone is bad and evil. So there's a moral compass inside. Of and when you violate that, whether or not you heard God's written revelation, you still have sinned. Get down to verse 14 through 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. What's he saying? Gentile people who have never heard the law, but yet they're living righteously because a relationship with God or a conscience that tells them don't do that because it's a sin, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There will be a day when God will judge. You saw that in Revelation, right? There's a day when God will judge. And no man will escape God's judgment by claiming that he was ignorant of God's word or his written revelation. No one will be able to do that. Violating God's internal revelation, violating God's internal revelation is enough to condemn us. What's that saying? When we can, when we override our conscience and do what we know is wrong, it's sin. I'm thankful that we do have God's word and God's revelation, but people who haven't even heard that decide to either live rightly or live in violation of that. All of this talk about sin, all of this talk about what is our responsibility? We're Christians. We've heard God's word. We know what's right or wrong. What's our responsibility? What's our obligation? We do have an obligation to point out sin in the world we better make sure we're doing it from a humble perspective. Otherwise, we will fall ourselves. Humble yourself or God will do it for you, right? 
He will, he will do that. Even though God doesn't usually punish us immediately for our sins, his eventual judgment is certain. We're condemned by what we do with our knowledge of God. Even those who have never seen a Bible still know the basics of right and wrong because their conscience tells them. Our responsibility is to tell others about the Lord so that they have a way of escaping God's judgment. Did you know that, that what we're actually saved? What are we saved from? From God's judgment, right? So we're saved from the enemy and going to hell, but really we're saved from God's wrath. That takes us through verse 16. I'm going to go through these questions. Question one, and even give you a hint where it's at. Verse one, when you judge another person while you're doing the same thing, what is the result? Condemn yourself. That's correct. According to verse 2, the judgment of God is according to truth. It's according to truth, not according to externals and not according to preconceived notions or anything like that, but according to truth. Question 3, a good example of judging someone while you are guilty yourself is Jesus' illustration of the Pharisee and the public. Question four. What leads a person to repentance? Verse four. The goodness of God. Now, question five. Goodness may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our past sins. Forbearance may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our present sin. Question seven. Long suffering may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our future sin. Question eight. Describe what it means for God to judge with no partiality. He looks on the heart. Or you could say, which is one that I said, or he doesn't Judge based on external or preconceived notions. Doesn't show favoritism. That's good. Question nine. Describe how we can be guilty of sin, even guilty of sin, if we have heard the law or if we have not heard the law. We may commit sin against our own conscience. Is the answer to that. 